Welcome to the Hopkins Press Podcast. I'm Mary Alice Yeske with the Hopkins Press Journals Division. Our guests this week are Dr. Mandy Savitz-Romer and Dr. Heather Rowan Kenyon. Dr. Savitz-Romer is the Nancy Forsheimer Aronson Senior Lecturer in Human Development and Education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. She's also the faculty lead of the School Counseling Strand of the Human Development and Education Program. Dr. Heather Rowan Kenyon is professor and chair of the Department of Educational Leadership and Higher Education in the Lynch School of Education and Human Development at Boston College. Their paper, School Counselors and College Counseling During the COVID-19 Pandemic, was published in the latest issue of the Review of Higher Education. They joined us to discuss how the COVID-19 pandemic has shifted how school counselors focus their work and the state of the profession today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Heather and Mandy. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about your research with us. Glad to be here. The first question we like to ask all our guests is, what is your academic origin story? How did you come to study your area of academic focus? I'll go ahead and kick us off. My uh, background, I started in the area of student affairs. So thinking about the out of classroom experience for college students. And I went back to school to get my PhD with the plan of becoming a senior student affairs officer. Along the way, I had some opportunities due to faculty mentors to participate in research and became excited about that process, and which led me to the faculty route of where I am today. And one of the first projects that I worked on, the College Access Policies Project, an earlier paper that I had related to college counseling and how that shaped college opportunity came from that. And my work then has focused on thinking about getting to and through college. So what are those barriers to access, how we can help students to overcome them, and then how to help them be successful while in college, particularly for those students who have historically been underrepresented in higher education. Terrific. Mandy? Heather, our stories are so similar, which I love. Uh, I began as a high school counselor in a large Boston school and also pursued a doctoral degree, very much driven from that experience. And so I left a position in K-12 and pursued a doctorate in higher ed because I wanted to understand the transition to college, particularly for first-generation college-bound students. And while there, realized there was so much about higher ed that I wished I knew as a high school counselor and realized the need to do lots of border crossing, translating what scholars in higher ed knew and what they understood to be critical in the transition to college, but I knew folks in K-12 didn't understand. And so that led me sort of on a path towards doing research eventually. I, I like Heather, intended to go back into the field uh, in K-12 counseling, but really found myself enjoying being that translator and whether that meant translating research and empirical studies to practitioners, so making research more usable, or it meant translating across K-12 and higher ed. I found I really liked sitting at that nexus. And mm. so it led me down a path of wanting to do more research. And I think one thing that I realized is how important it is to write about school counselors within the realm of higher ed, because I think higher ed recognizes the importance of admissions and college access uh -huh. and readiness, but doesn't understand the realities of these core K-12 frontline workers uh -huh. whose role is so critical to that access mission. Your paper is a study on the experiences of high school students applying to and preparing for college through the perspective, as you just have both noted, of high school counselors, um, specifically during the first year of the COVID pandemic. 
were you, I mean, you've already kind of answered the question, which is that you were already looking at counselors, but did this specific paper come about um, because you were already kind of going down that road or did the onset of the pandemic really narrow down the focus of what um, what you decided to study with this? It totally narrowed it down. We were <laughs> on a slightly different path. We were setting out to do a national study of school counselors and oh, okay. we were wanting to understand their working experiences, uh, particularly relative to college going and what, what their experiences were. And we also had another project related to policy, and that is sort of statewide policy that and how that shaped counselors' experiences. And the pandemic hit, and we were talking to a lot of these policy folks by Zoom, even though that mm -hmm. wasn't our intention when we started the study. And getting ready for this national study, we thought, we've got to pivot. In fact, it was mm -hmm. Heather's idea. I give full credit to Heather. <laughs> Heather said, we've got to pivot and, you know, ask them about what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think we were both also experiencing as faculty, such a shift in our work experience and what right. we were doing and how we were doing it or how we weren't doing it. <laughs> right. The challenges were. And so Heather, you know, suggested, I think we should adjust. And uh, that led to this. Well, and it's interesting because as we were doing it, you know, similar to when we all went home, we thought, oh, this is going to be two weeks or three weeks. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so we were still preparing to do our usual, the national survey that we were going to do at that point. And then we said, well, we should add a couple questions about COVID. Mm -hmm. And then every time we met, the number of questions about COVID increased. Right. And then at one point, it was about one third of the survey. And then we thought, okay, and then everything going on in counselors worlds to be able to think about it. We made the pivot at that point to think, let's just focus this survey on COVID to think about it. And then particularly the college going came out, the first phase of our work was counselors broadly. So mm -hmm. A12 counsel, uh, school counseling to right. be able to that. And then through analyzing the data from our quantitative survey, then thought, well, it left a lot of questions for us about how time shifted for counselors, how they were thinking about their job, doing their work. Well, this college piece is something that we want to focus on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So in our second phase, when we started doing focus groups, we split them by elementary and high school and middle school in there as well. And really we're able to focus on the college counseling piece, which is um, the purpose and the focus of this particular paper. And how did the two of you end up um, researching together? Was, were you, were you already colleagues? Were you, or did this, how did, how did the fates um, align to, to get you both on this, on this research project? There are a number of forces that brought us together. <laughs> um, Heather is a faculty member at Boston College where I completed my dissertation and doctoral okay. degree. And so we were brought together by um, uh, a shared colleague, Ana Martinez-Aleman, and she had us together on another project uh, that was about uh, social media use in oh, college. Interesting. I think um, one of the things that really brought us together in this project and similar to others is that unlike faculty who are squarely in K-12 or squarely in higher ed, right. Heather and I share this interest. It's, it's sitting at the nexus. And mm -hmm. uh, when we met and we were working on some other projects, you know, I began to read her work relative to uh, the college knowledge uh, paper she wrote about students' college going knowledge. Mm. And one of the things I realized is like the, I was interested in counselors. I had studied higher ed. And I think we both recognize that to understand this 
transitional issue, you have to constantly ask about it in both sectors. And I think right. we share that. I think um, we share a commitment to telling the stories that maybe people don't know and lifting up the voices of people who are typically missing from the conversations around post-secondary transitions. So I think we share that. Definitely. And, and I would add to that the importance of collaboration. I believe that in research and in writing that collaborative relationships make our work better, that we have different ideas. We're coming from different perspectives to be able to share those as well as to share the load of the work. So those are some ways that we work very well together. So that's good. And we also share um, life stage together. <laughs> we all have young children, mm -hmm. our very young when we first started working mm -hmm. together all of us and to be able to have that understanding of where we are in the moment mm -hmm. as uh, research colleagues was also, I think, helpful for our partnership. Can I add one more, you know, I'll just add one more thing that just occurs to me. Yeah. Heather, because of the first question you asked actually, which was sort of our, our story. Yeah. We both came from the field of practice and I think we often begin research projects with the implications in mind. So we, ah. The implication sections of papers are always in some ways the easiest for the two of us to write because we both feel a connection to the field, either because of what we're hearing from practitioners or because it connects to where we began our careers. Right. I think oftentimes I partner with other colleagues. That's not always true. They don't always have the ability to translate what does this mean for somebody you know, on Monday morning. And Heather mm -hmm. and I both really lean into that. We both if we can't articulate that, we probably aren't starting a project. We both mm. really drives what we do. And so I think that makes it easy, easy for us to take on projects like this, which had mm -hmm. real implications. It aligns with our it, the way then that we publish our work mm -hmm. that takes a variety of spaces that if we think about this COVID work in particular, we had a um, work in Ed Week. We did an op-ed for Inside Higher Ed. We have this piece in a scholarly journal. So it's to think about who's going to see the work, who's right. able to use the work and implement it, which is really important for both of us to think about. Yeah, I I totally can see what you mean. And, and it's such a powerful statement when you've, you've walked the walk, you know what I mean? Like, and you don't, uh, you're researching and you know, every day that it's not just going to be in an academic echo chamber that, you know what I mean? Because you know exactly the, the types of, of challenges that the people that you're talking about are facing. So that's, that's, that's really powerful. And a lot of folks can't say that about their work. So I, I totally appreciate that. What surprised you most in the results of the study and the interviews that you guys did? I'll start out here. During this time, I was surprised pleasantly so how creative the counselors were mm. in this really challenging time counselors were creative tried new things talked to others to be able to get ideas we had one school in an area who contacted colleges and universities around the area and asked them to take over their school's Instagram feed for the day to be able so students could learn more about them. We had another school where the counselor had said, I had always wanted to create a mock application night at my school mm. and just have never had the capacity to be able to do that. 
COVID gave her some of that capacity. She was able to do it on Zoom. She was able to have institutions come in. So they really were able to think what types of Google Classrooms were they creating? Mm -hmm. How were they helping students in all areas of their life, the college going, as well as thinking about mental health, thinking about wellness overall mm -hmm. in those multiple areas that they were working so hard and so creatively to be able to meet students' needs. Related to that, Heather, is like just, just how much I, I would describe that also as how much they were hustling. Part of our findings, as is in the paper, that their jobs are not very well regulated. The role mm -hmm. is very poorly defined, and yet they leveraged that to be creative. They just hustled. They found creative ways of doing their jobs. And I think that was, it wasn't surprising as much as it was powerful to hear them at mm -hmm. such a difficult time. I think the other big surprising thing for me was realizing just how much all these changes in higher ed were impacting these counselors' everyday work. Mm -hmm. So whether it was the expansion of test optional policies or the not being able to go on campus visit. So all these, I would say, seismic shifts in higher ed have these trickle-down effects, certainly on students, but counselors are these mediators. Mm -hmm. And so what they talked about was needing to stay on top of these new policies and needing to understand, like, what are the ways students can learn about colleges? I was surprised by how in tune they were, given how much was on their plate with what was happening in higher ed. And I certainly had a window into it just from reading inside higher ed, et cetera, mm -hmm. from my own. But these are folks who are very solidly grounded in K-12, and they just were like, well, we understand institutions are doing this, and and we think that that the counselor letters are going to matter more, and we think these other things are going to matter more, and there's no SATs. And they, anyway, so I think just really seeing how much of their everyday work is impacted by a sector that they're not in, mm -hmm. and <laughs> they're, yeah. not, they're not living in and breathing in. And I really was quite struck reading your paper about the, the just the details of that and the the some of the quotes from the interviews saying things like, well, you know, the the this each individual school changing their policy week by week and and how like you try to you try to navigate that as a parent or yeah. as a, a caregiver with one child and you you think that's frustrating. And you know, I, my jaw kind of dropped trying to think about how someone with you know a caseload of you know fifty to two hundred you know, college bound um, students, how just, you know, it almost reminded me of like whack-a-mole, you know what I mean? Like, I just, it was like, that yeah. must've just been so uh, exhausting. And yet they continued, you know, because that's what they're there to do. It was really, it was really quite, um, quite jaw-dropping reading, reading the testimonials. It's stunning to think about how hard that is for them to understand the sector of higher ed and, and all the changes at mm -hmm. so many institutions. And if yeah. you have a a caseload of 200 seniors, you're going to have very high achieving seniors, you're going to have some career uh, pathway senior, mm -hmm. then you're going to have some community college and with everything in between, mm -hmm. historically black colleges, tribal colleges, women's institutions, all of it. And just to try to stay on top of, of that was mm -hmm. stunning mm -hmm. and really challenging for them. And they were, they were often doing that on top of other things that they got pulled to do. They As suddenly, you, yes. Mm -hmm. For our our larger work, when you heard that they were tracking attendance, they had to mm -hmm. find students. They were being pulled off of these things to be able to fill in gaps as schools were figuring out plans. Mm -hmm. as, uh, they were distributing Chromebooks and helping students find food and to be mm -hmm. able to think about the basic needs of students that they were doing on top of this. 
So since your paper was researched and published, what has changed? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, we're in year 3.5 of the pandemic. It's not entirely over, but things are different now. So what's what's changed and what's gotten better, would you say, in terms of student experiences and success in planning for college applications and the transition into higher ed? Sure. Obviously, now with schools open, there's more access to counselors. Mm-hmm. That limited access was a real challenge during mm-hmm. the time when schools are closed. One thing that we heard from counselors time and time again with our study, this is the importance of the informal counseling. Mm -hmm. Counselors don't sit at a desk all day and have a line of students come in. They know that, oh, there's a student that I'm wondering if they filled out their FAFSA, so I'm going to go down the hallway at lunch and find that student Mm -hmm. and ask them, or I'm going to catch them in the hallway between classes. That informal opportunity for engagement was missing, and so now that's back. So that's one pathway to really be able to have counselors and students to be able to have more engagement. Mm -hmm. Also, they're able to build relationships with teachers, both counselors and teacher relationships, as well as student-teacher relationships. We heard from counselors a lot, the worry that students had that I've only met my teachers on Zoom. I haven't, Mm -hmm. don't know them in person. Do I go back two years ago for teachers before the pandemic? How do I navigate this teacher recommendation process in the Mm -hmm. college process? And that additional stress of the not knowing. So that's been alleviated. The rebuilding um, things. But again, we know we have shortages counselor shortages, teacher shortages, other staffing shortages in schools that they're trying to navigate as well. So while that's coming back, we're still not at a pre-pandemic level. We're all still a work in progress. I mean, I think there's two things that stand out to me that have gotten better. First, the expansion of test optional policies certainly removes Mm -hmm. a barrier and that means students, particularly low-income students, students who are the first in their family to go to college, who may have written off an institution because the requirement seemed out of reach, mm-hmm. sure, they're going to apply. And that sort of kind of maybe addresses what many refer to in terms of undermatching, right? Students are going to apply to more selective institutions because they don't see the SAT as a barrier. That really hasn't equalized things. So I'm really cautious to raise that because mm-hmm. I don't think we've really addressed inequality in terms of access to higher ed through this test optional because students who come from resourced families and communities are still taking test prep and they're still submitting very high scores. So mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I want to be careful about saying it's better. I think at the student level, it maybe is altering where they apply. It's perception. Whole, yeah. Perception. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's created a whole host of other problems because now they're, <laughs> they're applying to too many schools and the, <laughs> right. the applications. However, I think you know, so I think that sticking is shaping perceptions. The second thing, and perhaps more relevant to our study, and this comes through in the paper quite a lot, is counselors were in their creativity coming up with new ways of doing things that have stuck. Mm-hmm. So maybe I think for many people, the increased use of technology opened doors and possibilities, much like we're doing this now. Mm-hmm. You know, using Zoom, counselors found that they can get more families to show up to parent nights if they use things like Zoom. I think Heather referenced doing um, having an institution take over Instagram. These kinds of creative things have stuck to some extent, and I think that has been good. I'm cautious to say much has gotten better mm. because one of the things that we are continuing to hear is that um, students questioning the value of higher ed has become really much more pronounced. And Mm -hmm. so I 
think um, I'm hearing a lot about kids who feel a lot more hopeless. So I, I think that one of the things that's changed, you know, since the papers come out is that people are paying attention to the complications and the need for more counselors. And I think that's good. Um, there's still more to, more work to do both empirically and in the field regarding that. And, and for you, you know, as researchers, what were the challenges that you found doing this research in the middle of the pandemic for, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, you're researching it as it's happening and it's happening to everybody, including you. So what, what did you find challenging um, putting this paper together? Yes, definitely. I, I think there's two ways, us as individuals, as the researchers, and then the population that we were studying. And so I'll talk about the personal and Mandy can talk about the professional. When we were doing this work, we had on our research team, so we have three uh, graduate students who are with us at the time, Tara and Steph and Lara, who are amazing. But between the two of us and the three of them, we had six kids under the age of <laughs> that we were attempting to homeschool while we had spouses with busy jobs who may have been holding their staff meeting in the middle of our kitchen on Zoom as we're trying to nav navigate um, bandwidth, both uh, technological and personal uh, during those times and to think about how that worked. A lot of this research work happened really late at night for me or really early in the morning for Mandy. Um, as we think about the times that we did those things. And, and I remember when we were sort of getting ready to pitch this, I remember Mandy saying, do you really think we can do this? And in my head, I was like, no. Um, <laughs> so what came out is, yes, we can do this. This is great because I think it goes that practice piece to think we need to study these things we need to think about them we need to know more about them mm -hmm. so let's push forward and do this and we were able to push forward you know i think it's one of those things as we think about faculty annual reports and as we talked about them um as a faculty here at boston college i remember writing a comment to in mind to say most of my research work happened after the hour of 11 p.m wow. at night after navigating kids in homeschool uh mm -hmm. zoom school other helping our own students we had to shift our own classes to teaching online right. yeah. for the needs of our current advisees and students so sometimes that research piece went towards the back burner because of the current needs that we had to work with right away. So it was definitely a shifting balance for us. And I think something that I look back, one of the students said to me one time, I really wish we had asked this question. I said, you know what? We just have to be happy that we asked questions and people <laughs> were able to give us the time and right. the energy uh, to be able to participate at that point in time. It wasn't perfect. And as I say, no research project is ever perfect, but mm. thinking about as we, you know, work through that process was, is pretty amazing to me as I look back on it. I mean, I think Heather alludes to this point of, it, it was hard for us to ask counselors to give time to this, knowing what they were going through. Like there was, right. I was, I felt really uncomfortable being like, and can you give me another hour plus of your time after right hearing what they're doing. So I think that's always a challenge in research if you recognize um, the lived experience of your participants. Mm. I think the other real challenge in this, in this project was that many of the things that counselors were describing were existent to some extent before the pandemic. Like so mm. many 
studies being done now, it's the pandemic exacerbated things. Counselors' roles were poorly defined before. They're even worse now. You know, counselors were dealing with too many unknowns about higher ed then. They're now having even more. So in some ways, I think from a research perspective, it was hard to figure out what is a consequence of COVID and what is a consequence of a flawed profession or a profession in need of much more clarity and support. So I think I think there's that uncertainty. And then I think somewhat related to that, this paper was really about the college going and college counseling dimension of counselors work and asking them about that at a time when there is an endemic mental health crisis underway that they're also dealing with. I think some of them were like, I, I want to tell you about that, but I can't without telling you that I'm dealing with much, you know, much more consequential things. Um, in so I think. One, it was asking them to give their time. Two, it was like ascertaining and in our analysis, trying to figure out what we set out to ask and sticking to our research questions when we were finding so many other um, findings in the, in that part, you know, determining other themes that were coming up in our in our analysis. And then the other is like, how do you give voice to this college counseling piece when you know there's something else really uh, salient going on? One thing I would add that was really interesting in hearing feedback from the counselors after we talked to them in their focus groups, and then more so even in the individual interviews that we had, is that they appreciated being asked in ways that they we were worried about asking them to say, oh, can you do one more thing? But they said, well, no one's asked us no. how we've thought about this. And mm-hmm. and a lot of times they're isolated, particularly at small schools where they may be the one or there right. might be two counselors to be able to think how they were able to hear from other people and connect with other people in ways that was really interesting and um, had a number of them verbalize how they had found that helpful. But to think about how the counselors are one of many in a school and mm-hmm. to think how that comes in, what types of supports are available for them as well. Mm. Interesting point. And I, and I like that too, because it's, you're actually the second uh, researcher that I've had on this podcast where the person being interviewed said, wow, nobody's ever asked me that. And that Mm -hmm. in and of itself is so powerful. You know what I mean? Like you're being listened to and what, you know, your experience, as you said, your lived experience is something important and worth um, investigating and, you know, documenting for the sake of improvement and understanding. So again, I, I really appreciate that, especially when they're you know, in triage mode as, as, you know, all educators really were. What advice would you give to families of students who are now in the midst of, or approaching the college decision process where we sit now in, in January of 2023? Well, what I would say to myself is I'm a parent of a high school junior. Okay, then. All right. <laughs> I'm embarking on this. Um, so as, you know, as a parent, what is the advice? Um, I think the first is that we're still coming out of a pandemic. We're in three point, what you said, three point year, 3.5, I think. <laughs> I think what I would say is that schools are, you know, are in recovery. They are not recovered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true for many people, many institutions, many organizations. And what's on my mind is understanding counselors' roles and their capacity. Mm. Uh, counselors have huge loads. And I think what parents can do is help their children, help their students um, connect with their counselor in ways that can support them. Counselors want to help. They want to connect with students. They have training in this, but they are struggling and they 
are struggling to do their jobs in ways that sometimes give students the impression that they don't have time for them or that they mm. don't want to bother them because they're busy. So I think um, something that parents can do is maybe help their student go to their counselor, introduce themselves, go with specific questions. I'm not one to say, get yourself a private college counselor because counselors can't do it because the school counselors have a lot of knowledge. They often know these students really well. They know a lot about where other students from their school have applied and I think are also very in tune, um, particularly our strong counselors, in tune with asking why they want to go to college. I think some of the other endeavors where you might get a private college counselor, they're going to jump into like, all right, let's build your list. Let's get your applications going. And we can't jump over that step because if you don't talk with students about why they want to go, then they, they're judging based on something that's not really deep to who they are and, mm-hmm. and central to who they are. And so I would encourage parents to connect with the counselor, know they're overloaded, know that their jobs may be not clearly defined and that they may be trying to support a lot of students. That doesn't mean they don't want to hear from you. It doesn't mean they don't want to hear from your student. And maybe if you can put a few scaffolds in place, like um, arming your child with questions, I think that can really help. And this is excellent training for as students move into higher education to help your Mm -hmm. students learn advocacy skills, how they can advocate for themselves how it's not for a family member to pick up the phone and make the phone call to ask a question right. about being a class or adding a class or a challenge with a bill to think about how you can help your students in the high school age to think, okay, let's develop a list of questions that when you go in to talk to the counselor, you can ask them to think about what are those ways that you can scaffold those so the students become their own advocates and it's not mm-hmm fully reliant on a family member to be able to do that. I think also you hear news stories all the time that it's more and more competitive to be able to get in, to be able to think about colleges and where they're going. Also to think about the vast variety of colleges and universities in our country, that it's not just the highly selective or the very most highly selective, that we have excellent regional public institutions, Mm -hmm. state institutions that uh, serve the needs of our states and in the country. So to be able to think about what are a variety of institutions and institution types to be able to look at to help find your fit for uh, for students. That's a great point. That's a great point. And and um, I also really like the point about teaching your student to become an advocate for themselves. And I was really struck by that in the sense. And I have a, I have a middle schooler, so I'm kind of like I'm seeing I'm seeing this coming down the pike. But just in the day to day, like right now, in terms of like, we'll we'll ask your teacher that, and that that shift as as your child goes from sort of elementary K through five into into the older grades to to get them to understand that these adults are not just these figures that are there to you know to tell you what to do that there that there's a relationship there to build and that that that's on you to just as much as it is on them i just i really appreciate that point about self advocacy and 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 practicing speaking up for yourself and practicing asking questions because that's a skill just like anything else and i think that captures precisely what led us to re- this research work together which is we have to understand the nature of higher ed and feed that into our K-12 systems. Mm. So not setting students up to engage in a college planning process with skills and mindsets that will serve them at the next level, we're setting them up for failure. Mm -hmm. And where I think these kinds of um, 
cross-sector projects, much more K-16 scholarly work is critical because it begins to kind of blur the lines and importantly, creates a feedback loop because that's exactly how we think about things. When we talk about admissions, we think, what are the implications for counselors? When we talk about you know, high school practices, we think, what are the implications for higher ed? And I think mm-hmm. that tends to how um, a lot of our research is generated. What is, what's next for you both research-wise? Do you have any upcoming books or papers, collaborations or otherwise that you'd like to share with us? Always. We always have a project <laughs> in the wings. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to say to Heather, do you think we can do this? And she's going to actually say no, not just <laughs> um, I think, you know, one of the things we learned uh, from this study and and from others uh, around counseling is that their, their working conditions are quite stymied and mm-hmm. there are all these ecological forces that shape what they do. And so we had written this this one piece that used an ecological model to understand counselors' work. And that took into account what principals know and how they're trained in higher ed and went all the way out to policy. Mm -hmm. And so we have finished the policy study in which we um, talk to state leaders who oversee school counseling and ask them, like, what do you do? Are you able to actually influence these practitioners who are so critical to students, you know, post-secondary development, social, emotional, and academic development, what is your role? Do you have any power or authority? And so we have some papers under review that we're confident will be out in the ether very soon. The ripple effect of that and how I think, uh, and again, I'm speaking mostly as a parent, but you just get this sort of this little bubble of like, in our school, it's bands. It's like K through two, and you're just like in the K two two zone and you don't really start thinking beyond that. Um, but I love the way that your research just expands like that so quickly into, into policy. I mean, it really does. It makes you realize how, how, how interconnected everything is. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that Heather alluded to was that, um, when schools were closed and students were remote, they, their access to counselors, particularly those, which I think you described Heather as like informal counseling, like seeing Mm -hmm. a kid in the hall and being like, I see you don't forget. (laughs) Right. You know, get that done. If that was all eliminated, right. well, a portion of that plays out when caseloads are at one to 900. Mm-hmm. If a counselor is responsible for 900 students, their ability to know students is compromised. Well, the state often sets those uh, caseloads mm-hmm. or could. And so, again, everything we understand from our research, we are thinking like, where are the other sectors, settings, um, systems that are responsible for influencing this? And that's mm-hmm. what led us to do um, a series of interviews with 30 plus state leaders. And so more qualitative research and um I think some pretty interesting findings, particularly relative to like inequities and just mm-hmm. very major differences across different states. Are they even present in schools to think about which states right. are mandating uh, counseling, to having counseling programs in the school, particularly in the K-8 area, you see it more consistent in 9 through 12, but thinking about elementary schools, how districts at times share counselors between schools. So mm-hmm. the counselor may only be at your school on Tuesday and Thursday or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, depending on how that sharing is going on. You especially see that in rural areas or smaller districts along the way. So to think about what the different needs are and how geographic region or different parts of the state, you even see the more urban compared to more rural areas, the different needs that they have in those areas and how are states able to respond in particular ways so that all students are having access to counselors as needed. Agreed, it's such important work and I'm looking forward to that as well as um, as well as 
all of your future work. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about um, your your research and uh, good luck with the college application process uh, for, for those of us that are looking that way. Um, yes. Thank you again. This is very, this is truly, this is very practical um, research. You know, I mean, if you've got a, a, a kiddo in school, no matter what, where they're at, these are things that the earlier you start thinking about it and the earlier you're aware, not only of the process, but of the challenges that are being faced by these professionals. It's just, it really, I think it does nothing but help help everyone along the way. So thank you. Well, thank you for having us and thank you for profiling our work. I think we tend to think that the more people that understand what's happening in schools, then people can engage in thoughtful ways that really set students up for this, for success. So thank you for having us and for profiling our work. Yes, thank you. This podcast is a production of Hopkins Press. For more information, please visit press.jhu.edu. Edu.